Boy, where would we be today if we didn't have his mercy? We are such a blessed people to know that his mercy is abundant. I know one of the concerns that Janet had was where John's at. I reassured her there was no question of his salvation. He is with the Lord and the means of his death has nothing to do with it. And so she found great comfort in that. And uh, but his mercy is far more than what we deserve. And we'll be learning a little more about that when we get to the book of Philemon here in a few weeks. As we look at his mercy, his grace, all those attributes that we just need to keep in the forefront of our minds every day. We do live in a very troublesome world. And uh, we'd enjoy the conflicts that come, but we know they're there. There's no avoiding it. So how do we glorify the Lord in these things? We just soon avoid them, but we know now that it's just a... And it says it's the important part of developing our relationship with Him and each other. And as we've talked about before, and I just remind us again, because we need that constant reminder, we need spiritual calisthenics. We need to be stretched. We need, as it were, our spiritual muscles to be worked. And we can have a lot of facts about the Bible. But if there's no way for us to exercise it, well, I guess it would be like having uh, in your basement a set of weights. And you got everything you need there to build your muscles. You got this machine that can stretch the muscles, and, and, and but how much time do you spend on it? You walk down the base and you know, I should do that. I spent that money. <laughs> or you had a treadmill or whatever it is. And you don't use it. So we can have a lot of mental knowledge about the Word of God. But if God, our coach, doesn't give us an opportunity to use it, in a sense, it's a waste of time. And, and perhaps you've wanted to learn to do something... And so you went to the internet or you went to a book or you went to somebody and said, teach me how to do this. So you get all this knowledge in your head. But until you actually get out there and do it, it's not going to do a whole lot of good. Now, reading and learning can certainly help speed up the process, but there's got to be that actual application. And so God knows what we need and when we need it, and so he provides that. And so how do we glorify God in our conflict? We're going to look at these things this morning, and let's begin by turning to Acts chapter 16. Because there's a lot of it mentioned in Scripture. The Apostle Paul, in fact, today in, in John's service today, we're going to bring that attention to the folks there because some have been trying to convince Janet that, that perhaps he's not with the Lord. But Paul himself despaired of life. He wanted to go home. And how many of us want to go home? <laughs> I'm ready to go home, aren't you? But in his due time. We will get there in his time. So he despaired of it too. But as we will see at another point in time, the only thing that kept Paul going was his focus is on Christ. That's what makes the difference. And so we, as we look at 16, Acts 16, 22 through 31, we read, Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. When they made, laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. And having received such a charge, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. That's a little bit of a challenge, don't you think? But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were loosed. 
And they keep the prison, awaking from the sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. And Paul called, called out with a loud voice saying, Do yourself no harm. We are all here. Then he called for light and ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Why not the other prisoners? Why these two? Because <laughs> there was hope there. And he brought... <clears throat> And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, and you, will be saved you and your household. That doesn't mean the whole household was immediately going to get saved, but as we follow the rest of that, we'll see that when he went home, he took care of Paul and Silas' wounds, and Paul and Silas taught them, and, and uh, because of what he heard, the whole family saw the value of putting their faith and trust in Christ. Conflict. This was a great conflict that brought individuals to Christ. and So we need to trust God. Paul and Silas, do you think they were looking forward to being in prison? Now I guarantee you, these prisons were not like ours. Because what did the, prisoner, the, the guard have to do to go check on them? He had to get a light. So it was a deep, dark dungeon... They didn't have any facilities, so you can imagine the smell. And that's where Paul and Silas were, and they were praying and singing. And they weren't singing Yankee Doodle Andy. They were singing to their God. As we sang this morning, mercy. They understood that. And it says here, everybody was listening. You think that was their intent? I'm sure it was. So we don't want to rely on ourselves. Let me remind us by turning to Isaiah 55. We too often have life planned out as the way we believe it should go. And when it doesn't go according to plan, we get very discouraged, we get frustrated, we get in conflict. Not only with God, but with ourselves and with others. But he, Isaiah 55 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts your thoughts. What does that mean for me? It means I need to carefully plan my life based on this book. But if God throws me a detour, and really is his way the detour? No, my way is the detour, his way is the right way. But I want a detour. And usually because my detour is going to take me around the least amount of objects that I have to hurdle, the least amount of conflicts. But the Lord says, no, I need you to go through... In fact, you guys are hunters. You know how this goes sometimes. Where do you want, how are you going to find the biggest buck? And where are you going to find the biggest deer? You've got to go right through the middle of the thickest stuff, right? And I've been through that stuff, and I hate it. Some of that stuff, is, it, it's got that green briar, which I call razor on a rope. It, it will just rip you to shreds. But to accomplish the task, you got somebody's got to go through that because that's where they're at. Kind of the same similar principle here. God says, I need you to go through that thick stuff because there's some things there that need to be fleshed out. <laughs> and I'm, you're the one that needs to do that. And I know it's not your plan. I know it's not going to be easy. But that's your task. I want you to do that. So when we get into that situation, then we go to James chapter 1. Verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall in various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith worketh patience. Verse 5, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Now how does he give that wisdom? Liberally. We know what that word means, right? There's a bottomless pit to the wisdom. There's as much wisdom as we need. All we got to do is ask. And without reproach, it will be given to you. In other words, that says, I will never, ever, ever get tired of you asking for more wisdom. Now, you remember when those little two-year-olds were in around the house? Parent, mom, did you ever get tired of why? 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 All the questions, why? 
we can go to God numerous times and actually he, he will enjoy us asking for wisdom we need to go ask him for wisdom then over two, a couple more chapters in James verse 6 but he gives more grace therefore he says God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble we got to humble ourselves because that's the only way we can draw on his grace if we're being proud about our decisions and we're being stubborn about our decisions which is the same if we're not willing to submit to God's plan we're being proud God I got a better way or I don't like your way that's nothing more than pride but when we say, okay, God, I know this is not going to be easy, but let's get her done. Now there's plenty of grace to draw on because it's available. But the pride blocks it. The humility opens up. In fact, uh, I look at this like uh, on a dairy farm. The, we always fed the cattle a certain amount of grain. And uh, there was a little chute that you would open up and, and you could let the, the grain come out at the kind of the speed that you wanted, you know. And, and so I look at that little drawer on that chute as, as my pride. It, it's cutting off the flow of grain. But when I humble myself, it opens up and, and you'll get a boatload of grain in a hurry. And that's what God wants. And that's the only way we can draw on His grace is we've got to keep ourselves humble. God, this is not about me. This is all about you. So we need to trust him in that way. And then Proverbs chapter 3. And this is a major problem with the world, and I believe we as Christians struggle with it a great deal as well. Most of our decisions early on in our Christian life are often made on decisions based on how we feel. But Proverbs 3, verse 5, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, and depart from evil. You see any statement about make a decision based on how you feel? When we begin to make decisions based on how we feel, we're on dangerous ground, because we're going to take the easy route. But we need to go to the Word of God and make those decisions based on trusting the Lord. And the word heart here doesn't mean feeling. It means with your motivations. What's motivating you? Am I wanting to take the easy way out or am I wanting to please the Lord? That makes a major difference in our decision making. So we don't want to trust our feelings. We want to trust the truth of God's Word. And where does that truth come from? Romans 10, 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So the question we have to ask ourselves today, how much time am I spending in this book to get to know it? If you're going to have a owner's manual for a piece of equipment. And I know we guys do this. At least I do. Maybe you guys are different than I am. <laughs> but when all else fails, read the instructions. Right? <laughs> we think we got it figured out. How many of us live our life the same way? I think i got a life figured out. I'm going to do it my way. What harm can there be in this? And then when life messes up, then we go back to the book. The best thing to do is go to the book and then make the decisions. And base it on what the Word of God says. There will be a lot less failed marriages, a lot less problems on our jobs, a lot less problems everywhere if we would just do it by the book. Knowing and trusting at what's best. And again, a reminder from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that the stresses, the conflicts, are part of our sanctification process. First Thessalonians 4, 1-9 Finally, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more just as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know that what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus... 
For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you may abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God, and no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but to holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who also has given us his Holy Spirit. These verses are just simply explaining the process. Let me read two, uh, verse 9. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught of God to love one another. So the process is our sanctification, as he mentioned in, in uh, what verse was it, verse 2 there? Uh, no, verse 4. Part of our sanctification process is to go through this. We need it. And we won't turn to it, but Hebrews 13, 5 says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. No matter how difficult the time gets, the Lord is always going to be there. The question is, are we walk, looking to walk with Him or are we walking away from Him? So we must obey God. Let's turn to Philippians chapter 1. We cannot get the results that God wants us to have unless we are obedient to the Word. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and in discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense to the day of Christ. Our obedience. In 1 John 5, 3, we've looked at this verse many times in the past, but we need to be reminded of it. What is our obedience? It's an expression of our love. 1 John 5, 3 clearly says, For this is the love of God. For this is how we love God, that we keep His commandments. Now, that makes common sense, doesn't it? But He put a little qualifier on the end of the verse. And His commandments are not burdensome. Now, surely as a child, you were told to take out the garbage, and oh, do I have to? And we know if we don't, we're going to get restricted, we're going to get the belt, right? So we mumble and grumble while we're taking the garbage out. Are we really loving our parents while we're doing that? No, we just don't want the Board of Education on the seat of knowledge, and so we do it. <laughs> when we really need to say, okay, Mom, this is great. It would be a privilege to take the garbage out. I'm going to do it right now. And we drop everything and we take it out. And then we pick our mother up off the floor because she thinks we're inhabited by an alien. <laughs> and hopefully an alien is really Jesus Christ. I'm doing this because it pleases him, which also pleases my mother. Because I love God. You see how that works? That's what it's supposed to be. That's what First John 3 is. Well, we need to obey. It stretches and gives us an opportunity to put myself aside, think of Him, and think of others first, and be obedient. So we must obey, must imitate God. We're in First John. Let's just turn to chapter 2, verse 6. He who says he abides in him ought himself to also walk just as he walked. We are to imitate Christ. We're going to imitate Paul. In fact, I, I don't know if I could do what Paul has done. Paul says, be my example. Follow me. Imitate me. Is anybody in this room that really wants to imitate me in my walk with Christ? <laughs> I'm not sure I want to go there. But he did. We're to mirror Christ. Philippians. Well, let's turn to Philipp, uh, 1 Peter since we're closer there. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may bring, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. The world is watching us. In fact, probably, it may be possible that there's some that don't want to be a Christian because they've observed what we're living like. How many of us heard the expression, I don't want to be a Christian because I don't be like those hypocrites? Now, sometimes that's an excuse. We know that. Because deep down in, they know they, we can't be perfect. And I think most people don't expect us to be perfect. But we need to acknowledge God's sovereignty in these things. We've, we've talked that about the force, and we're not going to spend a lot of time on that now. But all these events are sovereign by God. 
And there will be some difficult times. And again, we don't hear about it much, but I get constant emails and, and literature that is expressing what's going on with the Christians across the globe. And I just finished two books on, on the, uh, what Islam is like. Uh, that, that's a very scary religion. But as a result of it, there are thousands of Christians every day being persecuted and even killed because of their faith in Christ. What would we do if we were put in that predicament? Daniel. Again, we mentioned him this morning in our Bible study. King says, give these guys the best meat we got. Fatten them up. We want to make them intelligent. We want to use them. And Daniel said, no, I'm sorry, because I'm not sure what you're going to feed me. And my God says, I can't eat pork. Are there certain things I can't? Just feed me vegetables and water. We'll do better. And he was a teenager. Then he had three friends that wouldn't bow down and pray either. And he said, well, we're going to throw you in the fiery furnace. He said, it's okay. I'd rather burn up and burn up for the right reason than bow down and kiss your feet. And we know what happened there. They went in the fire furnace and they survived. Daniel wouldn't stop praying three times a day. So they threw him in the lion's den. <laughs> Can you imagine sleeping on a lion overnight? Daniel did. <laughs> he laid on that lion and he knows of God because the next morning the guys that put him there, before their bodies could hit the floor, their bodies were broken up and eaten up by the lions. Amazing, awesome God that we have. And now we've read about Peter, or uh, Paul and Silas in prison. And we talked about one, again, Peter was in prison. They're praying for Peter to be released. He knocks on the door, I'm out. <laughs> oh, gee, God answered prayer. They had a tough time believing it at first, but we must acknowledge God's sovereignty. We may never completely understand why God allows certain events to take place in our lives. But I guarantee you this, when we get to heaven, that's going to be the last thing on our mind. Of all these concerns that we are fussing with and complaining over and worrying about, when we get to glory, it's going to be gone. So we must pursue God in a God-centered approach. I believe when we are more dependent upon Him we'll be less concerned about the outcome of the event that's taking place. Because we realize if we're doing this by God's word, and I'm doing exactly what he wants, the outcome is going to be what he wants, and not what I want. And which do we want the most? That's the question, isn't it? Do I want what I want the way I want it, or do I want it God's way? And if we do it by the book, because we love him, the outcome is never going to be bad. It may not be what we want. We might want to label it bad, but that does not always mean that. Of course, when we're dealing with people, not everybody's going to respond biblically. Some are not saved. Some don't want that. Some are going to insist on their own way. But God expects us to do the right thing the right way because we are not responsible for what other people say or do. We're only responsible for what we do. In 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to glorify John Stitzel. I live that way, do you? But I am to live it to glorify God. Whatever pleases Him. And there's some cases that we may be working with some unsaved individuals. And again, I've got some books that I've read. And some, there's one a man was um, uh, suing his company because of something they had done wrong. And, and he had a case. And he could have won it. But this man had recently come to know the Lord. He went and talked to his pastor about it. He said, yes, you have a right to take this to court, and you will probably win it. But what may be the consequences as far as your effort to reflect Jesus Christ? He hadn't thought of it that way. All he thought of was his rights. So after prayer, he realized that he needed to just drop the case. So he didn't work the next day, told the boss, I'm not pursuing this case, I'm dropping it. 
out of respect for you and the company and everything involved. About a year later, and I think there was uh, uh, there's some court things involved there, expenses and so on. The pastor asked him, well, how do you feel about that decision you made and the expenses that were involved? I think there's, I can't remember all the details, but there was $5,000 involved in that. Because he responded to the pastor in this way. Pastor, that was the best $5,000 I ever spent in my life. Because as a result of it, three of my co-workers have come to know Christ. They saw that I was not out for myself, but I was trying to represent Christ, and they wanted to know more, and I've had the privilege of leading three of my co-workers to Christ this last year. So sometimes it's not always about what our rights are. It's a matter of how is the best way for me to reflect Jesus Christ to those that are in my life. So we need to stop and think. Do I want the people around me see that Christ has saved me and is changing me? Is that more important than getting my money or my position? Absolutely it is. So in pleasing God takes priority. We will respond in a more gracious, wisely, gentle way. And if, if you want a full list of how that's going to look like, turn to 1 Corinthians 13, 4-8 sometime. And that tells us what love looks like. So number two, we need to glorify God by serving others in Luke chapter 6. Again, we cannot do this. I, I repeat this over and over for myself. Life is not about me. Life is about loving God, and when I love Him, then I'm going to love others. That's what Mark 12, 30, and 31 teach us. But Luke chapter 6, 27 and 28 says this, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good, do good to those who hate you. Bless them who curse you, and pray for those who spitefully use you. That looks like fun, doesn't it? We wake up in the morning and probably if we're honest with ourselves, we're concocting something in our mind how we can get even against that person that, that is doing us wrong. And yet, what we need to do is do the right thing. In fact, I had a deacon in, in Huttonsville um, who had took a stand against the Masons. And uh, he worked at the high school there in, in Mill Creek. And uh, there was a bunch of teachers that were Masons there, and they knew that Sonny was not a Mason and, and knew what his position was. But Sonny, nevertheless, let them know, I love you, and I love you deeply. And so even though, and he got some repercussion from it, it wasn't very pleasant, which I won't go into, but uh, it was not uncommon for Sonny to go in there and bring in a cake or a pie and put it on their desk and say, enjoy, just because we're friends. That infuriated them. Because they spent years trying to make him mad and it wouldn't work. And he continued whenever he had the opportunity was to share Christ with those that he worked with. And to this day, I don't know if any of them ever come to know the Lord, but Sonny was very, very faithful. And as a result of it, he was not looked upon very well by these men. And they made his life very, very difficult. There were places in that building where they would deliberately mess it up because they knew he had to clean it up. But he never said a word. He just cleaned it up. He knew where it came from. He knew who was doing it. But it was more important to him to present Christ. So in verse 6 of chapter 6, Luke, Therefore be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. We sang this morning how merciful our God is. Where would you and I be today if we did not know the mercy of God? You know what mercy is, right? It's not getting what we deserve. I don't know about you, but I deserve to go to the lake of fire. How about you? But because of the shed blood of Christ, I'm not going there. That's mercy. Praise God. Philippians 2. God wants us to watch out for others as we uh, I think that was read this morning again in our Sunday school hour. Philippians chapter 2. <laughs> 3 and 4. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. 
but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, which we can look out for our own interests, but the emphasis should be also on the interest of others. In Galatians 1, we got some verses here. We're not going to take time to look at all of them. But let me just remind you, Galatians 6.1 says we're to do it gently. When we see an individual who's been caught in sin, it's our responsibility. It's not a pleasant thing. There's going to be conflict there. I mean, have you ever approached a brother or sister, a wife or husband on an issue that was not right and you were looking forward to it? <laughs> well, I don't. I do it with fear and trembling. But nevertheless, because I love him and I love them, it needs to be done, and we do it. 2 Timothy 4.2 Let's turn to that passage. This is a passage we haven't looked at before, but it says, preach the word, and that doesn't mean just the pastor. That means present the word. Whenever you get the opportunity, talk about Jesus. Talk about the Word of God. Be ready in season, out of season. In other words, there are going to be some times it's going to be easy to talk about Christ, and there's going to be times when it's not going to be easy. But notice what he tells us to do. The first three words here, convince, rebuke, exhort. See, we got to sit down and, and, and we need to be thankful for those who love us enough to come sit down with us and try to convince us from the Word of God what we need to do. Unfortunately, what's our first response when someone sits down with us and tries to point out our faults? We want to defend ourselves, don't we? We want to excuse it. But we need to be saying, thank you for loving me enough to come to me. Then rebuke. We don't like to be rebuked. Because probably what we're, what we're being rebuked about is something we enjoy doing, and I don't want to hear it. Have you ever been like a kid? Ah, I don't, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. We, we plug our ears and want to hear it. Do we do that? Maybe not literally, but if we're shutting it off, we're doing that. But then exhort. That's the positive thing. This is a good thing. We, we found something you're doing wrong. In fact, you know, if your car's doing something wrong, it's not working right, do you just kind of ignore it? You know, when that red light comes on the dashboard, it's, yeah, Mary's back to, I do, I just ignore it and let, let my husband take care of it. Yeah, that, that's what I got a husband for, yeah. When our personal red light's going off, we better not ignore it. Or like my Jeep, I had one on there that told me my ABS wasn't working. I got tired of it flashing all the time, so I put a piece of tape over it. All right, Mark, <laughs> Mark did the same thing. I can see that, yeah. It didn't fix the problem. We want to ignore it. But we need to be exhorted. I can fix this, because it can be. Now, when I, my car breaks, I've taken my car to Mark. and said, Mark, I need this fixed. I can't do it. Sometimes we need to go to somebody else and get some help. That's what the church family is for. That's why we have deacons. That's why I have mature believers. Go to someone and say, I got a problem. Will you help me fix it? But notice what, the, what it concludes with. With all long suffering. Does that sound like that's going to be easy? Sometimes the things we wrestle with are not going to come easy. It's going to take long suffering to get it done. But it's all for the purpose of that last word, teaching. How many of us here, I don't want anybody to raise their hands, but I want you to answer this question in your own mind. How many of us are teachable? Now, you can learn a new job and you can, you can learn new skills. Those things are fun to be teachable. But what about spiritually? Are we teachable spiritually? I hope that's why you're here today. Because you are teachable. You want to learn. I hope you don't come to church with an eraser in your mind or a delete button. I'll pick and choose what the pastor says. And the things that I don't like, I just hit the delete button and get rid of it. If we do that, we're in trouble. Because you delete long enough, it'll get you into trouble. Because when things get fixed, it's got to be fixed all the way. 
You can't just fix bits and pieces here and there. So it's not going to be easy, but it's going to be rewarding. Galatians 6, chapter 2, let's go there. We're familiar with the first verse, but... Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Verses 9 and 10. Let us not grow weary while doing good. Again, does that sound like it's going to be easy? While doing good, you're going to get tired. You ever do your garden? Not easy picking those weeds, pulling those weeds, and all that goes with it. That's good work, but it's hard work. So expect the same thing in our spiritual walk with the Lord. Verse 10, therefore, well, back up. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. There's a special attention we're to give to each other. That's why God put us in a church family. This means fellowship. Again, we talked about that in our Bible study this morning. Fellowship is not just sitting over meatloaf like Mike, Mike says. You know, that's, that's Mike's idea. Give me a meatloaf and some people and we got fellowship. You know, that, that's his idea of fellowship. Not really. <laughs> fellowship is, I am a companion with you in this difficult... In fact, how many ever watched Lord of the Rings? Okay, most everyone's watched that. There was the fellowship of the ring. What was the purpose? Were they having a party? They banded together. I remember how, people, how many people were. It doesn't matter. But there's a bunch of these people that banded together. We're going to help uh, Frodo get to wherever he had to be to toss the ring in there and melt it. And, and be done with it, right? The fellowship. Was that an easy thing? If you've ever watched it, you know that was an easy thing. When we fellowship together as Christians, we do it together as a family. And it's, it means we're going to band together as a body of believers and it's going to be difficult. But I'm with you right to the end. That's what this is talking about. We don't give up just because it gets difficult. And, and it, it's easily done sometimes. And 1 Peter 3, 15, 16 says we need to be ready with hope. I don't know about you, but when people come in for counseling, I don't get my psychology. In fact, I don't have a psychology book in my office, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> this is the only hope I give them. And I tell them that right from the very beginning. And some even call. I've had some call. Well, what kind of counseling is it? I said, well, we believe the Bible is the answer to all of our problems. And, and so we'll take you to the Bible and we'll show you what's wrong and we'll show you how to fix it. Oh, you mean it's religious? This is Galilean Baptist Church. That might be a good clue. I don't tell them that, but they say, well, that's, that's not the kind of counseling I'm looking for. I said, well, then I can't help you. I said, if you ever change your mind, I'm here, but I can guarantee you by the authority of God's word that if you will practice everything I teach you from beginning to end, your problem will be resolved. I'm giving them hope. And after every session, I try to give them some hope because sometimes they're very discouraged and frustrated and they need to know there's hope. In fact, we've had some, we've, our counseling has dropped off already and I think it's because they found the hope they're looking for. I, need to, I know what i got to do now. I do it and they're done. <laughs> Praise the Lord. But there's some that just... They want to rationalize and excuse their behavior and they don't like what the Word of God says and so they don't come back. And that's most unfortunate. But I guarantee if they're looking for true release from their pain and their suffering, they will come back to it. They have to. Otherwise, there'll be no hope. So we can teach others. And we should teach them uh, these things. Paul has his challenges. And he was confident through those that Christ knew what he was doing. We need to be an example. 1 Timothy 4.12 No excuses. We need to, in fact, let's turn to that passage. 1 Timothy 4.12 Let no one despise your youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word and conduct and love and spirit and faith and purity. It's sad that among our teenagers today, the third leading cause of death among teenagers is suicide. 
You know what that tells us? Our teens have never been taught how to deal with conflict. Probably because their parents don't know how either. We are in a culture today that take a pill and that will solve your problem. Do this and it will solve it. But nothing that will show us how to deal with our sin issues. Isn't it sad that all this gun control stuff that they're trying to resolve, and it certainly is a problem. There's no denying that. But I have not heard one senator, one representative, one president say, we are in this mess because our sin got us here. Let's get back to the Bible. That would solve our problem. But they want to put a band-aid on it, and bad days don't last. So we need to show ourselves as a pattern of good works. Understand this, as much as it's not fun for us and easy, God sometimes deliberately puts us to a pattern of difficult challenges so those who are observing our lives, whether it be family, friends, neighbors, whatever it may be, fellow employees, they can observe us and learn this is the right way to do it. Because if we don't show them, how are they ever going to know? And in some cases, these individuals will come to us and say, I don't know what you have, but I want it. And I've had that a time or two. I, I've shared with you once, just briefly. My dad passed away very unexpectedly due to an anaphylactic shock. And uh, so uh, we went to Virginia, and I came back to work, and four or five days after everything was over, and, and everybody said, well, what are you doing here? Your dad just passed away. I said, all right, he's better than I am. <laughs> and that was all I said. He, he's in heaven. I said, as much as I'd love to have him back, I certainly wouldn't want to bring him back. And that was all I said. But somebody at the end of the table overheard my conversation. And later that day said, I need to talk with you. Could you... Would you be willing to come to our home? And I got a couple questions. I said, yeah. So I set up a time, went over there and, and talked with her. And he said, you were so real and so casual about where your dad's at today. I said, yeah. He knows Christ is his Savior. God promised because of that. When we die, we go to heaven, and that's where he's at. So I, yeah, I'm going to miss him, but he's far better off than I am. So I'm not the least bit concerned. Well, how do you know that for sure? Well, you know what I did then. I took him to the Bible. And she was living with a guy at the time. And I had the privilege that night of leading those two individuals to Christ. Now, was it worth losing my dad over? There's two people that won't go to hell. And I know of other incidents the same way through his church. A similar event that took place where other individuals come to know Christ as a result of my dad passing away. Humanly speaking, it didn't make sense. Their church was struggling terrible. My dad had stepped in there and the pastor was relying on my dad a great deal to help bring some of these things to resolution. And right in the middle of it all, God decided to take my dad home. Humanly speaking, it made no sense. But God knew what he was doing. Because God knew that there was this couple here, and this one over here, and this one over here. The time was right for this to take place in their lives, to touch their lives, to bring them to a point of salvation. Now, the church is still existing. It's still moving on. Could Dad have been a help? Probably so. But was he needed? No. God said, time for you to come home. I got a, through your death, I got better things that we can get accomplished. So you and I have to look at life in those, that, those respects. We may not see all that's going on. But conflicts are all about relationships. And I trust that you folks have been married a good many years. I talked to, uh, and some of you may not know him, but he was a pastor of Bethel Baptist Church here in town. Um, Charles McDonald, they call him Mac. His wife passed away. Uh, she had, she's been struggling with strokes the last couple of years, and finally she had a stroke that took her home. And uh, um, 54 years married together. Uh, praise the Lord. Some of you have been married that long or longer here. 
And of course, he's mourning her a great deal right now, but you know, I, I can't imagine what it would be like for my life. Is, is, you, know, you know how much I appreciate my own wife. The reason I married her is because she tells me the truth. And uh, if I don't see it, the rolling pin comes out. But no, not really. But, <laughs> but she makes sure I see the truth. I want someone to teach me the truth. In fact, when we get married, you know, I ask couples, why, why get married? What's the standard answer? Oh, we love each other. <laughs> I'm yet to hear someone say, I'm marrying her or marrying him because I believe they can help me grow in my relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the real reason for you wanting to get married. There should be. Now, love can be in there. It should be. That's all part of it. But I appreciate the fact that, that my wife tells me the truth when I need it. I don't always like it. And, and there's been times when we've had arguments over it. Not to her credit, but to my discredit. Because our marriage just gets better and better every year, but it would get better a lot quicker if I'd learn quicker. Right, guys? Uh, aren't we blessed men to have the wives that we have? And that conflict. We've been, we'll be married, what, 38 years, I think, this year? And we've had a lot of conflicts. But they have fine-tuned me because of her influence. The relationship has built it. And so our relationship with Christ is a marriage relationship. Half of it's perfect. Isn't that great? He is perfect. I never have to worry about God failing me. <laughs> I'm not so perfect. Constantly working on that. Will be from now to the day I die. But then those of us are married. Why is marriage one wife, one husband, till death do us part? The number one reason because it is a picture of our relationship with Almighty God. That is why. So the more we love Him, the more our personal relationship develops with our wife, our husband. And if we're not married, those are around us. Because nobody is in an isolation bubble. We all relate to somebody. Very few hermits in this world. Have you ever wanted to be a hermit? Oh yeah. <laughs> but that's not our option, is it? God did not put us here. In fact, Adam, remember? He was the only one. God said, I got a project for you. Name all the critters. Can you imagine that parade? And he was so intelligent as every animal went by, he named them all. And as they're going by, he's looking, hmm, there's two of them. There's a male and a female. And when he gets all done, he said, God, there's a problem here. I didn't find anything I can relate to. And God says, yeah, no, I wanted to see that. Adam was alone. <laughs> Now, he wasn't really alone, was he? Because he had God. But he didn't have anyone that he could relate to the way God had designed him to. So we know what he did. He made a very special creature. He took a rib from his side and he made woman. And they begin to relate. And they can relate better to God. I don't know how long it lasted. It didn't last long. But things began to break down rather quickly, didn't they? Eve listened to the serpent. Eve was deceived and took the fruit. Gave it to Adam. Adam wasn't deceived, but he ate it anyways. And then God came and said, uh, where are you? He knew where they were, but they didn't know where they were spiritually. Who told you you were naked? That's a relationship thing. Who told you that? There's no one around to tell you. And then he had to remove him from the garden. But then Adam, very boldly, because they're passing the buck, he said, that serpent. And then Adam said, that woman you gave me. He wasn't blaming Eve. Who was he blaming? God. Yeah, he's blaming God. Conflict. Relationship problems. 
Well, God took care of that too, didn't he? He gave them an illustration by slaying an innocent animal, spilling his blood, and say, you now need to be redeemed. And these clothes that you wear every day is to be a reminder that there is a Redeemer coming. There is an innocent man who will spill his blood and you need this covering to atone for your sin so that your relationship with me can first be reconciled and then with each other. So we have a list here of things that we need to do to move that along. And we're going to develop it more as we go along. But the great thing that comes out of it, and I'm, I'm sure there's probably been times in our married life, my wife said, why in the world did I marry this guy? <laughs> but the reason she hasn't left me because her love, number one love is for God. And then she's able to love me in my worst days. I said days. I don't have one. I've had many. <laughs> but she stuck with me and praise the Lord. But if it wasn't for her number one relationship with God, I'm not sure where it could have ended up. Conflict develops a relationship. If the Lord ever took her from me, I've told this with the deacons, I believe I would have to eventually resign as pastor because I don't think I can pastor without her. She is my right arm. And it's because of the relationship she has with Christ and the relationship we have with each other. And in many ways, I feel like she makes me really look good in the ministry. <laughs> a lot of things she does behind the scenes that you folks don't realize that she's a tremendous help to me. But it hasn't been without conflict. It hasn't been without arguments. And now we just stop and think, yeah, when we get to heaven, is this really going to matter? Nope. End of argument. We're done. It's not worth it. Let's not fuss with it anymore. So we argue a whole lot less. We love a whole lot more. And each day is just, but it wasn't, didn't come without the conflicts. It didn't come up with the long suffering. And that's what God wants us to learn as we develop these things and how important these things are. So when it comes, look at it as spiritual calisthenic. Oh boy, we get to exercise today. I know that's not our exciting thing to do, but... In fact, most of us, if we would admit it, if we would do a little bit of physical exercise, we'd probably be a little healthier. But spiritually, we need a lot of exercise. It needs to be daily, not just Sunday. Every day of our lives. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the conflicts you send in our lives. The challenges that come that just develop our relationship with you and then with each other. Help us to review our notes today and this, this next week. And examine, are we doing everything we possibly can to develop each other and help us in our sanctification process? Help us, Father, to do these things in a way that would please you and glorify you. We may not always see the answers, but we know that you'll never leave us nor forsake us. We know that you'll always be glorified when we do it to glorify you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.